Hey guys, welcome. Come on in and uh, grab a seat. We're going to try to get going here, so we've got a lot to do in an hour before we start our Ecclesia meeting. This is a U2 song that we've done at Easter a couple times called Rejoice. So uh, the chorus is Rejoice. everybody. I'm Tim. Welcome to Emmaus Way. Um, Emmaus Way is a community of folks that live here in Durham in the greater community. And uh, one of the things that we say every week is that uh, we gather each week around the table to live and embody and recreate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to live it into our lives as we anticipate the final resurrection and live on this side of the resurrection. We also gather around the text each week and understanding that our vision of God, our vision of redemption, our vision of hope is greatly shaped by hearing each other's voices and hearing each other's stories. And by the way, 
mean, last week was fantastic. I wanted to really thank you guys. There were so many great stories told as we were, uh, we were telling stories. We're in John, uh, I guess, John chapter 16 this week. We were in chapter 15 last week and just asked a simple question of how you've seen love embodied in this community, how you've experienced it, how you've expressed it. And it just the stories were fantastic. If you weren't around, that's probably uh, one, of the, one of the better uh, podcast to listen to and way the music that way. It was just a fantastic week. So thank you guys. Uh, in many ways, we, we lived our vision as community last week, perhaps as, as well as we can. So anyway, it's good to see everybody here tonight. Hey, there's a few things coming up. The, tonight, I want to remind you, this is our quarterly ecclesia gathering, which is basically our word for a community conversation that we have usually once a quarter. We have three or four a year. It's a chance for us to talk a little bit more intentionally about life in Emmaus Way, uh, hear how we're doing, hear what we're dreaming about, discuss with each other. So our, our schedule just changes slightly tonight is that we'll go from five to six and then we'll uh, order. We actually have a big pizza order coming. And so pizza will be here at six. We'll start eating for about 15 minutes. And then uh, Jenny runs like the tightest ship on earth. So we go from like 6.15 to 7.15. Uh, uh, and it's, it, we get it all done. But it's a chance to kind of hear about life at Emmaus Way and, and hear who we are. So please be invited. If this is your community, we'd love for you to stay. If this is a community that you're learning more about, we certainly would love for you to stay. So that's tonight, um, Ecclesia. Um, Dave, uh, you guys just got back from the Durham Can uh, Assembly, and we've got another one coming up. You want to give us some quick scoop on that? Yeah. Um, so David, myself, and Jacob Levin attended the assembly, uh, the delegates' assembly, where we voted on Durham Can's agenda for the city for the next two years. Um, so what uh, we voted to keep the three action committees that are currently in place, which is senior citizen issues in the city, um, anti-usury and foreclosure issues, uh, and issues of education. So those three things will continue. And then uh, housing and homelessness issues uh, was passed, and also uh, work on uh, documentation for immigrants, especially in terms of birth certificates in hospitals, and um, for example, some immigrants don't have proper documentation, so the parents aren't getting uh, named on the birth certificate for the baby for. Um, so those are the things that, that will be in place for the next two years um, that we voted on tonight. And also, in two weeks on June 5th is the um, Spring Delegates Assembly, where everyone involved in Durham Can is invited. Uh, where, where they will announce this agenda for the next two years. Uh, Amazed way, we uh, were a little ambitious. We pledged 10 people to come. Uh, last time, we had nine people go, so we thought we'd uh, put one more person on the list. So um, I would encourage you, if you want to be a part of that, please uh, plan on coming to that meeting. Uh, it's probably going to be at Watts Baptist Church, just right around the corner, um, but that's not in concrete yet. It'll be uh, June 5th, which is a Sunday from 3 to 4.30. So if you're interested in going that, you can talk to me or email Dan Rhodes, and we'll give you the info. Fantastic. Just a quick reminder, Durham Can, which is our primary local, it's a nonpartisan uh, political partnership, really works on a power and voice model. So one of the things, you might be somebody in Emmaus Way that doesn't have the, the time or the ability to jump in on one of the action teams, but these delicate assemblies are a chance for our our community to show our solidarity with what's happening there. So uh, even if you're just able to go to that once a year delegates assembly, it's fantastic. And the numbers are there. Uh, the idea is that there are, there are several confirmed uh, folks of political power in the community, politicians, all sorts of folks. It's the chance for them to see that people care. And in many ways, Emmaus Way is a wonderful voice and, and uh, as a part of that. So anyway, that's June 5th. And if I'm not incorrect, we're also... Uh, Susan and Phil, uh, we're hanging at you guys' house. We typically do this around the holidays a lot of times is just have an after church. Uh, it, it's somewhere between a happy hour and a meal on Susan's porch and in her house, which is just like four blocks from here. So we'll all be kind of heading over for dinner. It's a, a bring food. Uh, basic normal stuff, cook, bring food, uh, uh, come eat, have fun on the Jake's porch, which is across the street from Watt Street's Baptist. So it's, uh, it's just right there. So that's on the fifth. Um, also, uh, wanted to mention, uh, 
uh, McKinsey and Philip, you guys have a movie night coming up on this, no, June 3rd. Friday, June 3rd, uh, 7.30, In the Yard. Uh, what's the film again? I forgot. E.T. E.T. Uh, how many people have seen E.T. before? I'm on the list of people in that era who's never seen it. Uh, so if I, if I go, that'll be my first viewing. Though I think I probably could recite almost every line from it. But uh, nonetheless, fantastic. And kids are welcome. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, That'd be great. Thank you guys for doing that. And one last thing that's happened in the community, uh, Wade, uh, you and, and Krista are doing a house concert this Saturday night, right? Right. At the, at the Bainham house and studio. Yeah. And we've, yeah. We've got like uh, eight or so spots left. So yeah, we'd love to have you folks. And if you can't make it to the house concert, then we're going to do another show here in this room on June 17th. So, um, and that'll also be with a band called Carolina story. who will be traveling uh, at the time and coming through. So, uh, either one, we'd love to have you. Wade and Krista both have new releases that uh, are, are out within the last... Is, when did Krista's uh, latest come out? Like around Christmas time, I think? Around Christmas. So or roughly about the same time. Yeah. And so uh, if... Uh, and this will be a house concert. I think it's a suggested $5 donation, I think. And there's how many spots left? Eight? About eight or so, yeah. Okay. So they can get that off the Facebook page. There's been several invites floating around on that. So, uh, so anyway, please, uh, great stuff to do. Yeah, thanks, Tim. And as we uh, move forward um, into our music for preparation for our conversation, um, well, one, I wanted to make sure you all knew Mark Williams. Mark's back from Samoa. He'd been away a couple years, so if you all don't know Mark, we're glad to have him back playing and singing with us. And um, Mark's going to actually sing this tune. It's a Peter Himmelman song um, that we both really like called Woman with a Strength of 10,000 Men. Strange title, but he had um, walked into this um, hospital room to meet a woman and uh, she was um, really unable to do very much at all physically except use her eye. But what she talked to him about and what they were able to converse about, I think, really humbled him. And it reminded me of a comment when we were talking in text group this week where um, I think, um, I remember, Tim, you or Dan mentioned this from Yoder, but that idea of, of, of the, the gifts of the Spirit really being a true democracy, that there's this sense that with God's Spirit alive working in us, that really all of us, have great and tremendous value in him. And it, it's a democracy very different than I think what we would oftentimes talk about with kind of an American democracy. So anyway, I'm glad to hear, man. And uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks. Good to be back. Did you have any, uh, any other thoughts, any, anything that struck you about why you wanted to do this or you, you, you cool with where we are? I'm, I'm more or less cool with where we are. Yeah, I, this song has been meaningful to me for a long time. I think when we were in Samoa and some difficulties we faced there, there were numerous times where I just pulled this song up and listened to it, and, and it does put things in perspective as to what your life really looks like compared to others.
You have been missed around here. And Mark has a, actually a new CD coming out pretty soon. He keeps, he's threatening to send me the, the rough tracks, but I haven't gotten them yet. So <laughs> that's like your podcast reminder to do Thank that. I mean, <laughs> but he's been working on that while he was, uh, I guess, on your second year in Samoa. So very excited to hear that. Hey, uh, one of the things that I just want to throw at you as we're listening to the music night, singing the music, is that... Um, as we, we continue this conversation about the Holy Spirit, uh, many of the kind of the biblical kind of trajectories of explanation of what's pretty hard to understand in the first place are found in the music tonight uh, in terms of uh, strength, witness, kind of all sorts of things. So uh, be thoughtful of that as you listen tonight of, of, of what words of, of the Spirit and realities of the Spirit are found in that. Hey, I want to give you just a brief second tonight since we're on a little tighter schedule to stand up, greet the people around you, offer them the peace of Christ, if you are around somebody you don't know, introduce yourself, and I'm going to give us a shout pretty quickly. So, hop up. Phil Jakes, ever the aware man uh, among us, uh, reminds me that there was something I should have told you earlier. Remember, we'll send this on like everything we've got, but... Um, but next Sunday is the Sunday that we move to our summer schedule, which is 6 to 7.30. So we go a little bit later, um, the, uh, and, uh, and it gives you a little more time out in the sun. If we're around, uh, uh, hopefully we can be deeply nurturing of parents who have bumped their kids back an hour. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, and, and if you're a mom or dad, you know, uh, that routine of probably having dinner beforehand is a good one to get into. But 6 to 7.30 for the summer, it seems it's worked well the, the past several years. And so if you come early next week, you do get to help set up and help with the band and all those things. So uh, you'll be welcome then as well. So. Uh, most of you guys know this because I am, uh, there's certain things that I'm one of those people when I like something, I really like it. Um, and um, 
I learned a lot of my theology as a kid reading the Lord of the Rings. I was in one of those environments, like a lot of you, some of you I know were in this, where asking a question was like entirely inappropriate. I remember as a kid one time, it was like a, a revival meeting of my church and the, the revivalist, you know, really said, you know, if you have a question on this, ask it. And so I raised my hand and the look of disappointment on his face, like whatever this 14 year old is getting ready to ask is something I don't want to answer. Uh, and, and, uh, and so I asked my, my breathy, who knows what question it was, but, um, I was in an environment where asking questions about things that seemed to be really, really difficult was not there for me. And it was also really hard to think about theological realities that were embedded in incredibly difficult text or in places where people didn't seem to have the, either the desire or the ability to talk about this. So as we're kind of approaching the, uh, the, the, the end of the calendar year of the church, and we're approaching the Ascension, uh, Trinity Sunday, uh, the season of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, and we've been in this conversation uh, back into John again after Easter of John 14 through John 17 that talks a lot about the coming of the of the Spirit. Um, this passage from uh, this paragraph from the Lord of the Rings, I think, was written with this mindset, that kind of question that we all have of what. Does Jesus have to depart? What is this advocate that we heard last week coming? What does this mean for us? Um, so the scene is this. Uh, major cataclysms have already occurred. Our uh, lovely hobbits at the end of the book uh, have saved the world, saved Middle Earth, all sorts of great things. But they're journeying home. And for them, that's the real journey is coming home. And they're with, uh, in some ways, one of several Christ figures in the book. But Gandalf, who is this powerful, wise, kind, wizard and it's just the four hobbits who are pretty small a wizard who seems to have the ability to do most anything and has indeed returned from the death and he has hinted that things are not well at home and that's the last thing they've thought of because they've fought far afield they faced horrible reckless hate and evil and the thought that it resides in their very home and place is not something that they've imagined and this is just a brief little section of the dialogue well, we've got you with us, said Mary, so things will be cleared up real soon. I am with you at the present, said Gandalf, but soon I shall not be. I'm not coming to the Shire. You must settle its fares yourselves. This is what you've been trained for. Do you not yet understand? My time is over. It is no longer my task to set things to rights, nor to help folk to do so. And as for you, my dear friends, you will need no more help. You are grown up now, grown up indeed among the high, among the great you are, and I have no longer any fear for any of you. Now, we don't want to press that metaphor too far because it is a little bit different from the text, but it was a, kind of a parting shot of, of uh, some, someone departing, leaving. And my reaction to that, reading the book for the first time as an eighth grader, was like, no, stay. This will be much better for, if you stick around. And I could imagine the same kind of dialogue as Jesus keeps talking about his departure and his uh, leaving the world and sending his spirit um, and then saying things that I I don't think anybody would have imagined he would say he seems to imply that it's necessary for him to leave he seems to imply that it's good for him to leave um, and he seems to imply that they are prepared as as they'll ever be and they'll be more prepared if he does depart and and as we see in the lord of the rings the hobbits have to stand up for themselves in a way that perhaps they wouldn't with a wizard around um, so uh, these are the realities i read that text and i read this in the the new testament and and for me it's quick to say but wouldn't it have been great if jesus had stayed around but in some ways john 16 is a text that reminds us that Jesus' departure was necessary, good, and in some ways we're, we're ready for that, that stage. So I think Sarah is going to read John 16 for us. What the first portion. All this I have told you so you will not fall away. It will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the hour is coming when those who kill you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. 
see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he receives what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Thanks, Sarah. I was uh, had a reading with a different group this week that I, I gather with once a month and we were uh, reading a text and there was a, a quote in this from uh, Washington Duke who is the founder of Duke University and uh, his son Buck is, is referred to in this. Uh, uh, Buck was an odd kid who was driven beyond all knowledge and at one point he, he just quipped aloud, there's three things I can't understand in the world. Electricity, I'm with him there, the Holy Spirit and my son Buck. And I think maybe all of us would say that. I don't know, some of you may have understand electricity, but I'm still kind of at a sixth grade uh, science understanding of those matters. But, uh, but to some degree, um, the Holy Spirit, as it's described in the Bible, or the Holy Ghost in some translations, it seems to beg for confusion. Uh, and, and there's really not that chapter in the New Testament that I yearn for that explains a a a variety of questions that I have, but this is actually one place in the New Testament where we get a little more information about uh, what this coming of the Spirit is and how this relates to the the soon-to-be death, resurrection, and then ascension of Jesus to be, as he says, rejoined to the Father. Um, So if you've got that text, look at it. I'm going to just unpack a few things for us, and then I've got a a question that I want us to chew on tonight. at the very beginning of this, we're told, hey, I've told you all these things. And Jesus has been pretty repetitive about talking about his death and now talking about the coming of God's spirit. And he keeps saying, so that you won't fall away. There's this reminder here that there is so much more to do. There might be the implication that it's all done. I kind of chuckled. Anybody chuckle last night at, at 6 p.m.? When the world didn't end, I mean, I was just chucking away projects and tasks. I looked at some things I didn't want to do, and I said, yeah, I don't have to do these things. And, and, uh, and Kendall and Keenan were walking around the house. Kendall goes, two minutes, Dad. And, and, I, and I think I'd asked Keenan to do the dishwasher, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> how important is that going to be in the scheme of things, Dad? And so, so we watched 601 hit, and then we're like, do the dishwasher now. Uh, but... There's some sense that if you were, uh, you're about to witness the, the death of Christ at the hands of the state and the hands of his people, and then the witness to the resurrection, there might be this implication that there's nothing left to be done. The decisive act, the decisive hour that Jesus has talked about has arrived, and it indeed has. But the implication here is that there's so much more to follow. There's a, another chapter. Um, skipping down to, th- to verse 2, it talks about, hey, they'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the hour is coming when those who, who will kill you, um, uh, you know, for offering your service to God. And, and this is probably a much later scene. This isn't really happening at this point. But this is the writer of John, the evangelist, saying it's going to be hard. This coming of the Spirit, this advocate, is not a life where you won't face Turmoil, and as this is being written at the very end of the first century or early or early turn of the century, um, these things are happening. People are being, particularly in the context of the synagogue, being punished for their belief in Christ and and life in the Spirit. So we're being told that this next chapter is not one that's perfect, but it's still good. Be prepared for this. Um, then the first mentionings of the coming of the Spirit talk about this new season. Uh, we're told that, hey, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Um, one of the things that, that I, you know, that begs that crazy question. Like, what if Jesus had stuck around? And can, can you know, and then you start getting into these kind of trinity 
Trinitarian manipulations of, you know, could Jesus and the Spirit and God be in the same place? Wait a minute, they're one person, so they're three, oh, excuse me, they're three persons, but one, you know, things that we really have difficulty explaining and understanding. But there's a point here that I think is important to us, is the idea that um, the Spirit's coming yields in a different era, a different stage, the next chapter in the, the story of God's incredible work of salvation. And one of the things we all see, and you may have been like this at one point where you were in a life stage where you didn't want to move on to the next thing. You didn't want to be a 16 year old and drive. You didn't want to be 18 and vote, or in my case, maybe be drafted or, you know, you didn't want to go to college. Things were great. You know, you didn't want to take the next step in life. And in some ways, what we're being told is that this isn't a story of metaphysics. This is a story that the next season, the next unfolding of God's work of salvation is indeed happening. And there is some implication that God is not localized in the way that people perceived God to be localized. In the Old Testament, we hear these stories of the spirit coming on Saul or on David or on Abraham in this tremendous sense of the locality of God. And in some way, Jesus, God in flesh, was the embodiment of God in a very specific locality. But here we have this idea that in the next season, that something grand is happening, that God is present in the world in a way that we cannot imagine. And in some ways, what we're being told here is that John's been talking about the glorification of Christ, this crazy idea that Jesus was going to be lifted up, lifted up as a normal term for being glorified, but he uses it in two ways, lifted up in the terms of being lifted up on the cross as an act of glory, and then lift it up to God and, and, and kind of their understanding of the location of God and glorified in that. And so what we're being told is that the coming of the Spirit is a reminder that that glorification of Jesus has happened. A point Dan made, and we were talking about this in, in our text group last week, that we want to keep making is that in some ways the unity of Christ who was the ultimate human being. Do you remember when we did Hebrews and that kept coming up, the idea that Jesus represents all that humanity is, all that humanity could be, and the understanding of Christ in the presence of God the Father is a unity of humanity and God in a way that hasn't been the case. It hasn't been the reality since Eden. So here we have this idea that when that unification happens, the world changes dramatically. And God, Jesus, is present to us through the Spirit, not in a local way, but literally overwhelming our world, changing our world. Note the promise wasn't that it was going to be easy or perfect, but the presence of God is an incredible unique presence of God that happens in this chapter of God's work. And it makes sense a little bit of what we read last week, this idea of the true vine, this, this integral organic life of humanity and God and Jesus as vine and humanity as the branches, not believing in God, but literally united to living, breathing with one pulse, one, one heartbeat with the life of God. So in some ways, this is the good news that God is present in an entirely expansive way in the world that we live in and that the story of salvation continues to unfold. Skip down to the next paragraph. It talks about, and this is hard to understand, is the spirit comes and, and will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, you know, in our understandings of sin, we kind of get that. You know, it's kind of like you catch somebody doing something wrong. You say, you did that wrong. And perhaps they agree, perhaps they don't, but you've caught them in something. But we don't typically uh, try to prove somebody to be wrong about righteousness or wrong about judgment. It's, it's kind of a, an odd word. And the, the Greek word there means in some ways not convinced. It's not like, you know, I'm going to sit down with Amber and I've got this long list of things that's, you know, I got to tell Amber and I want to, I want to, I want to convince her. So at the end of the conversation, she says, you are right. And I am, that, that never happens to me anyway. I've never had that conversation, but, but in some ways, what we're being told here is that the spirit demonstrates that the world, the culture, this, this sense of a world in rebellion to God is demonstrated that they are 
wrong in the sense of, of their sin, their rebellion, their sense of righteousness, which is your justification of why you did what you did. This is one of the most favorite things that I have of teen parenting is something goes awry and you ask, why did you do that? And that's when the comedy begins because the justification is often like this winding story. Well, you know, and this happened and I was frustrated today at school. So I decked my sister and you're like, hmm, okay, that's, I don't get that at all. And in some ways, what he's talking about the spirit doing is convicting not only what we're wrong about, but our justifications and our judgments, so to speak. And here's this dramatic moment is the Romans, the people, they thought they had done done with Jesus. They thought that they had handled Jesus and their judgment. Remember the Pharisees several weeks ago had said, the whole world is going after him. If we could only kill him, we could stop this. That was their judgment. That was their response. And the resurrection of Christ and the reunification of Christ with God in that sense is in some ways a challenge that that in judgment was indeed wrong. So what we're being told here is that the whole rationale of this culture world humanity in rebellion is being demonstrated by the spirit as something that is off kilter what we hear the hint of here is that there's a different story Uh, we use this term a lot here of a counter story there's a different way of seeing the world that we live in and many ways we've all experienced this that at times because of the faith that we profess we feel like we're entirely in a different stride from those that are around us and this is the hint of that that the holy spirit demonstrates that that stride perhaps is closer to the truth than the one that is the norm. Um, skipping to the very end, we see this whole idea that the, the, the spirit and its kind of contrast with the world now is put in the context of what does the spirit mean for the community of faith? Um, this is why I said the spirit you will receive me will make me known to you. So in some ways, the role of the spirit In our world, this pervasive presence of God is to make that counter story known and real to us. And in some ways, the spirit not only convicts the anti-story, but it affirms the counter story. And so many times people have read this and thought, okay, there's this incredible future apocalyptic vision that the spirit is going to drop on us. So, you know, Tim Holly's kicking back, playing his cello, and there's a word from on high that says, move to Montana, or the world's going to end tomorrow, or the sixth seal has been opened in heaven. And it usually just doesn't work that way. Um, And this isn't the promise of the text, that there'll be some incredible unveiling of anything that hasn't already happened. The role of the Spirit is to continue teaching the dramatic moment of what Christ has done. But then for us, the idea of the truth is to challenge us as a community, to live not into the story of sin, righteousness, and judgment that was the norm, but as a community to live in the counter story. And when we hear about the Spirit teaching us, it's very quick to react and think that this is intellectual knowledge, but in some ways, God's presence and God's Spirit in the world is to guide us into an entirely different way of life. Which brings me to my question. Reading this, thinking about this, listening to this promise, and this promise has been brewing for three chapters in John, this coming of the advocate, this coming of the spirit. Dan talked a couple weeks ago about the idea of Christ, humanity, and God being fully reunited, restored, redeemed. So here's the question. What is this new way of life? What is this new hope? or new imagination that comes in a community like ours because of the presence of the Spirit, because of the completion of Christ's work, his glorification, his being lifted up in both manners. What is this new way of life, this counter story that the Spirit guides us into? And and, and as you respond to that, be specific. Uh, what are what are specific things that that might look like as we try to and we certainly aren't perfect in this, but as a, a people, we strive to live into that story 
being sensitive to the words of the Spirit and the presence of God in our world, what does it look like? What do you dream of? What do you imagine? What do you strive to be, hope to do? What do you think? Travis, it's a powerful point that so, so much of our faith can be organized around the concepts of either violence or exclusion or exclusion through violence. And in this being said, this is the hand of God. But in some ways, that's clearly been the counter of the story. That's been the norm. That's been the solution, the judgment that failed. So dreaming of ways to live reconciled without violence. To, to be the body of God without spending a lot of our energy wondering who shouldn't be present might be part of the vision. And that's hard work. It is much easier to form a community when it's clear who shouldn't be there, right? That's the easy way. Absolutely. Other dreams, hopes, visions of this new life in the spirit. I think freedom, just like freedom from the law to know that the spirit is going to guide you like the specific situation like what you need to be doing. Absolutely. And you know, this is another very similar comment in terms of how much our life following God has been imaged around fear. And fear works really well. <laughs> if, if I mean, if I can think of some things that you need to be frightened about and I had the desire to get you in line, that would be a great motivator for it. But there's some sense of freedom that the coming of God's spirit. Jesus didn't say, I, I published this massive compendium of works. And if you, you know, dig under this hole, you'll find this. He's talking about an ongoing, reflective, prayerful, intuitive conversation where the people are equipped to live in the world that they're in. I think that's a, a very beautiful portrait of not living in fear. Absolutely. Okay, sure, please. I was reflecting about this this week. One of the things that in, in last week, this language, if you remember the words love, abide, and remain were used so many times that, you know, like if you're a, a, a first year Greek student at seminary, you dream in getting like John 16 on your final because that means that the professor loves you because if you know three words, you've got about two thirds of it translated. Those words were used again and again and again. And one of the things that we get here is that there is a new way of relationship that's being hinted at here, uh, freedom from fear, freedom from violence. And, and uh, one of the things we talked about this week, Sarah, of us was that last week we saw this idea of love, not as this kind of cheesy subtitle, but the substance of how we live into God's life, which is indeed love. And that love projects an entirely different future, doesn't it? Just like trauma and abuse. If you traumatize somebody or abuse somebody, you will create and predict a future in their life where they begin to think that trauma and abuse is the norm. Love does the exact opposite. 
it creates an entirely different reality. And on that idea of flexibility, one of the things that I've, I've thought a lot about this week is that in this way of relationship, we can tolerate each other's risks. One of the things that frightens me about Christian community, one of the things I think we get wrong sometimes is we're so unwilling to take risks. The right answer is always to reflect, do nothing, <laughs> look at how it was done before, and that way you can be secure. But in some ways, what we're being told here is that if we truly love each other, we can accept each other's risks. We can be flexible and know that for one one person on this side of the room to journey in their faith and listen to the spirit might cause something really different from somebody on the other side of the room. And, and, and what an amazing kingdom it would be. What an amazing community it would be if we felt free enough to take risks and then were able to communicate openly enough about those risks to each other. One more idea. Yeah, trigger. Uh, so I'm going to take a little pot shot at, at John Lennon here. Um, and I love the Beatles, so forgive me. I think he's had a pot shot taken at him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be here all week. <laughs> well, all right, so other than his murder, um, <laughs> I remember reading an article kind of about John Lennon and just, you know, there's much damage into vegetarianism and, and peace, love, and understanding all of that. But apparently, it was also very heavily invested in cattle futures. And. <laughs> I thought that was just really kind of an interesting thing when, when you look at, at kind of the message and things that people do in a sense really try to embody, and yet when it comes down to economics, there's a, there's a line where we just don't go. And, and I think about, you know, when I got my job at Duke and chance to do your retirement stuff, and you have an option between investing in these social choice accounts that won't invest in armament companies and alcohol and tobacco companies. They don't make as much of a return as the other things, but you have the social choice option. And it's like, right there, there's like a real thing where you have to decide in a real way, like, does this faith go everywhere, even including your future and your retirement and all of that? Because it's, it's really easy to, to, to turn all of this type of thing and just, well, just, just pray more and, and I don't, you know, don't like it still, but, there are other areas in our lives, like, can can the spirit actually transform your economics and the things you buy and the way you invest? I mean, along with Travis's lines, I mean, the reality is we're not, we're not all going to agree on what ethical investment even means or looks like, but, but we can have those conversations without getting violent or anything like that, but they're conversations that, that we, we have to have, because if this whole world is God's, then and the whole world is God's, and we need to think about what that means as we live in that world that is God's. Yeah, Trigger, that made my list of, in the idea of not just a different kind of relationship, but a different kind of hope. And if we live a different kind of hope, we have a different economy and a different politic. And we're not going to agree around this room as to what is the right politic, what is the right economic how to get there, but what we can agree on is, as the Spirit is supposed to teach, that the primary accomplishment, the defeat of the powers, as they would say, happens at the hand of Christ. So now all of a sudden, we're free to live not in an impulse of self-protection. We don't have to protect ourselves. Now, we won't always agree as to what to do about that, but again, it's an entirely different way of living our lives. And, 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 and the conversation among people who disagree might be the most powerful. I have one invitation for you as well. As we think about this life in the Spirit, one of the things that I think we're called to is a mission of dreaming, imagining, co-creating, collaborating and communing with God. It, it was interesting. Again, he said, I tell you these things so you won't fall away. You're needed. Even though Christ has died and been resurrected, uh, we're not called to act for God, but we're called to act with God. And one of the things, um, Philip and McKenzie and I had a good conversation about this this week, about, about 
art and dreaming and vision and hope. And one of the things that I think we're called to as a community is to work hard at this question, to not make this an eight minute block and a sermon dialogue, but to live together discussing that different politic, that different economic. How can one be nonviolent in a world that's filled with violence? How can one be free when there seems to be so many boundaries to our life? And those conversations are the dreams that give us a vision of the kingdom as it unfolds and the next steps in this amazing story of salvation as it happens. Uh, Thank you for those words. Those are fantastic thoughts. I would encourage us as a community to keep talking about this, to not look for the final word on the spirit because we're not given a final word. We're to lean into the life of the spirit as listeners, learners, as as co-creators. Yeah, thanks, Tim. And we continue these thoughts as we move into our um, confession absolution before the table. And I know how many of you guys have spent your lives caring for and serving other people. And I think sometimes uh, we can forget how much that's close to the heart of God. And uh, so this song, Mary, uh, is a song that I think Patty Griffin wrote when she's thinking about her grandmother. But then as she began thinking about her grandmother and how much her grandmother had served and cared for other people, loved them, she thought about um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so that's where uh, I think this song comes from. It kind of meanders around those two ideas. So hear this as your confession. If you know it, please sing along. Covered in treetops, covered in birds. 
could sing a million songs without any words. You cast aside the sheets, you cast aside the shroud of another man, serve the world proud. You greet another son. safe haven for, for all of us. Beautiful as they're strong 
sleeping in each other's arms. When the thunder rocks your balls and the night is cold and long, their jungle kept me. you to our table tonight. Just a reminder, Mace Way always practices an open table, so everyone is invited to the table and to take each other. Our practice is that we break bread and we pour wine or juice for each other, saying the body of Christ broken for you or the blood of Christ shed for you. And a, a reminder tonight is always that in some ways this life in the spirit is the life that it's not an abstract life for us. It's a life that we are imagining as our reality and we're living and breathing in that reality. And the table itself is an opportunity for us to not just think about that reality, but to embody it as we pass bread and wine to people that we may not know, people who might think differently, people who, as Trigger would say, might have a different economic, a different politic, a different vision submitted to this kingdom that, that Jesus is forming and culminating around us. So I invite you to the table tonight. One of the other practices that I want to remind you and that we do a couple things. One is that we see our conversations around the table as deeply sacred. Um, one of the practices that I've loved doing uh, on, is taking communion and kind of gathering around the band and, and singing. And, and, and do be wary of this final song of Shelter, which is an incredible portrait of, uh, in some ways, the spirit as it's been given to us. So I invite you now to the table.
say go in peace. I'm hoping that a lot of us can stay and be part of the conversation tonight. But uh, even if you can't, hopefully you'll be able to eat. And I think pizza has arrived. Is that correct? So there's pizza and sodas. And uh, so feel free to grab food and listen for Jenny, who will draw us to order here in a bit. So go sort of in peace. Not the sort of peace, but the go sort of. <laughs> Move sideways in peace. <laughs> 